Welcome back to We Are Utah Podcast, where we bring you weekly episodes of the best in the Beehive State. Simply put, this is where we live. And this is where you stay connected. Stay connected. Because together, we We are are Utah. Utah. And now your hosts, Jordan Wheeler and Braden Floyd. We're back at it. It's been... Quite a Way while. too long, dude. We, we did a... Technically, po- we didn't go this long. Yes, we did a podcast with the Ogden Mustangs coach and GM, but we had yeah. some technical, technical difficulties. difficulties on my part. I forgot to uh, have one of the mics record, so it was unsalvageable. <laughs> yeah, so it was not usable. We're trying to reschedule that. They're in, like, training camp right now, so they're tough. busy, but uh, mid-September is coming. So um, we're back today in Social Acts in Ogden with a buddy of mine from high school, Chris Sanford. We actually went to college together, too. I remember driving That's out right. to CEU. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> remember Man, that? that changed my whole course I remember education. that because you're like, bro, why do you drive like that? And I had a stick shift Honda Civic. And I'm like, dude, I don't have cruise control. And you're like, oh, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Chris, we've been friends since high school. Um, we would always talk business together. And he reached out to me again uh, talking about ERCs. Now, what the heck is an ERC? That's why he's here. An employee retention credit, which a lot of people or businesses have applied for the PPP loans when you you applied yeah. for one, yeah, right? And for you them, yeah. were you granted we, yeah, PPP loans, ours, yeah. which allowed you to pay staff. Saved us, dude. Like when the government came out, they said everybody had to close, and they wouldn't let us reopen. Like it was it was getting ugly, and getting yeah. that PPP loan, like I don't know. Me personally, I it, you don't. I don't know if you always want to take free money, but it was one of those like you didn't quite have a choice, man. When they came yeah. out and did that with the coat with COVID shutdown, like it was scary for a minute. So PPP saved us and kept us going. So. Yeah. So ERCs similar but different. Um, a lot of people that probably have applied for a PPP or were granted a PPP don't think that they are eligible for an ERC, which is why Chris is here to explain why you are. So. This basically allows you to get up to $26,000 per employee, which Chris has personally helped over 100 companies get this credit. And he is the founder of Roundpeg, which is a team that helps businesses um, get this credit. And they've helped over 2,000 businesses, correct? Yeah, yeah. So we've helped. And, and that's just like one of so our specialties to help businesses apply for kind of complex tax credits. And the ERC is one of those. And we kind of just got pushed into it really because of the value of it and the market really. So there's a couple things to consider. One is that when companies don't take it, they're falling to a competitive disadvantage because of how many companies in their industry do take it. Yeah, because it's not a grant. It's not something you have to pay back. No, no. So it's considered an overpayment on your employee payroll taxes. So, and it's for quarters in 2020 and 2021, and you've already paid those um, payroll taxes. And so it just shows as an overpayment and they just send checks to your business or your house or wherever you have them sent. And they're substantial. And in the way that it, I guess, works with the PPP is it just goes above and beyond that. So the couple differences, the PPP was a loan that, you could apply for forgiveness 
And some companies were, some companies weren't granted that. Some were granted partial forgiveness. Um, and the ERC is different in that it's not a loan. It's so, so just to grab people's attention, like when what's what's the biggest dollar amount that you've seen a company get? Obviously, it depends on employee size and the size of the company. But just to give people an idea how much money is out yeah, there. Yeah, so like on our, our team, we've processed credits between 15 and 20 million dollars so there there's a significant That's crazy but again those are like special circumstances right. and not very common um like personally i have seen and worked with companies doing several between three and ten million so like weekly we process cases that size Holy and cow. um these are you know it it all depends on the business and mostly the biggest factor is employee count or W-2 wages paid. Yeah. Um, so if you have a lot of part-time employees, that can influence it. Um, and to get the full $26,000, you have to be kind of a high-wage paying company. But on average, if you've got like some a bunch of full-time, some part-time or whatever, uh, we're seeing like fifteen to 20000 per employee. So you may not get like the full 26000 but... But if you're 20, getting 10000 20, extra yeah. into business. The, the best part about this credit is it scales on the size of company. So if you think about a 10-employee company that gets an average of, well, let's say a conservative estimate. And, and I hate giving out values because it really all depends, right? On, on your size Every and your employees. Different. And, yeah. The wage that you pay. So, But on average, like let's just for ease of math sake, $20,000. A 10-employee company gets $200,000. That's significant in terms of, like, capital that gives them a lot of latitude in how they want to operate. Um, Particularly right now, a lot of industries are facing front-end labor or staffing in general issues where it's hard to find labor. And that gives them opportunities to provide incentives, sign-on bonuses, all sorts of stuff. So let's say a 10-employee company gets $200,000. Do they have to spend it on something specific? No, and that's another thing about this. There's no stipulations on how it's spent. So the PPP had four allowable expenses, and it got used for other things. What um, did you use yours for? Do you payroll remember? Payroll and rent, I think. I yeah, think it was so payroll and rent. So the the main ones, the main one is payroll. The minimum amount that you could claim on your forgiveness application was 60% payroll. Yeah. So you could do up to 100, but you couldn't claim any less than 60%. So 60% of your PPP was at least supposed to go to payroll. And the other expenses are rent or lease, yeah. mortgage interest expense, or um, the other one is called uh, utilities. And there's a little bit of latitude in that one. But um, so... But with the ERC, in contrast, it just comes to you as a check that you can use however you want, you know. And we encourage highly, and our kind of our goal and hope is that the benefits of these credits get passed through to company culture, employees, yeah. uh, clients, you know. Yeah, because there's a huge shortage for employees. I know you're struggling with it right now. Every day, man. So Yeah, hiring is tough. Finding good employees, in my opinion is the most difficult aspect of business. business ownership. Oh, yeah. And using, like, you can, yeah, like, to the culture point, like, using it for employees that stuck it out with you. Like, I'd love to have a bonus amount come through that I could be like, hey, 
Thanks for staying during COVID and still here, man. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Like, or bonuses, you know, we definitely or... do that as best we can. But like, yeah, if, if, if I was able to get this and got a chunk of money, like, that so, would be one of my top things, you know. Let's dive into that a little bit because I've talked to Chris about this, so I know kind of a little more and where we want to go with this. So a lot, a lot of it, well, a way to qualify for the ERC is it, you had to be impacted by government orders during COVID by 10%. So, yeah, well... I mean, there's nuance there. The let's first touch on the easy way to qualify, and that is okay. based on uh, a dip in revenue. And so, there's a nuance to this as well, and other rules surrounding it. But kind of the main rule for that is, if your business experienced a 50% reduction in receipts, is the IRS language, but gross revenue is what that means, then per quarter in comparison to 2019, then those quarters will qualify. And they use it per quarter because seasonal businesses, you know, could show it differently, right? And then in 2020, it's a 20% reductions in receipts or gross revenue in comparison to the same quarter to 2019. in 2019. Okay. So both years compared to 2019. And now there are some additional rules there and nuance that broaden that a little bit. Um, but maybe just a little like in depth to touch on here. And then the other aspect of qualification is based on government orders during COVID. So if your business, kind of how the tax law is stated is if your fire business, truck. sorry guys, fire truck going by, if you truck. can hear it. <laughs> um, so if your business was under the facts and circumstances more than nominally impacted by government orders in response to COVID, then you qualify. And so there's a couple things to unpack there. Um, government orders, like impacting your business, are things like mandatory quarantine for employees that were either exposed to or like, contracted COVID. Um, you know, all the extra sanitization, like a place like this. I bet you employees you spent at everything least, the axes. At least Dude, an extra it, hour yeah. a day per employee sanitizing, you know. Yep. And so we can dive into that a little bit. But when you're thinking about the language of the tax law and the IRS notices that give guidance to this, there was a mandatory two-week shutdown period for businesses in the country. And How long was it? It was longer, though. It, pushed, it, was, it started uh, as the mandatory two weeks, but it pushed till the end of May. It was like... How long were you guys shut down for? I want to say we were shut down for 60 days. I'm pretty, so what, I don't like, quite remember the exact, just, but it was a while. I'm trying to get, well, like, what was your feeling so during think, those 60 I think, days? I don't know if ours was mandatory that for the full 60, but yeah, I remember people that, tried to start attempting to open, and I remember having the conversation of, like, it's not even worth it yet. And then they well, they got to, like, a 40% opening rate. We got 40% of your, pop, of your occupancy. And that's when I was like, okay, I think we can make that work. And then it was 50, and then it was 75, and then it was back to, you know, 100. So the, a lot of the times when the differences in that time period were local orders. Yeah. Uh, so each jurisdiction oh. had different. Each state. or Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, some are more conservative and some are more liberal. Right. And, but anyway, regardless of when your business reopened, there were conditions to safely reopen underneath what's called a partial shutdown. And this language a lot of times confuses even accountants or CPAs because they'll hear partial shutdown and say, well, we still operated everything, 
like we weren't partially shut down. But what that language means is that either a part of your operation was shut down or government orders impacted your business and made it more than nominally, uh, impacted it more than nominally so that there was a 10% disruption or impact in your ability to provide goods and services. And so when you're thinking about that 10%, that's where it gets a little tricky with this credit because... Well, so so let's stop there because I know we've talked about it, but Braden hasn't. So like when he says that to you, if you do you feel just thinking by the wording 10% affected by government orders, do you feel like your social acts was affected 10%? Oh yeah. In what definitely. in what in what way? Like, give us some examples of just because it's it's pretty. Well, I think that if I provide a little context, it yeah. might help him have a little better understanding okay, of how okay. to provide those examples. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> so, so when you're thinking about uh, those government impacts, you know, I mentioned a couple sanitization. Here, a big one would be social distancing. There were a few that were like across the board. Uh, mandated by OSHA and by uh, the CDC um, and then others that have for different industries like maybe schools or healthcare um, and they changed a lot over time um, but when you're looking at these impacts and what 10% means it's not like the safe harbor revenue qualification where if you meet that there's no more questions asked. If you had a reduction in revenue, whether it was attributable to COVID or not, then you qualify. But so this- you're, you're talking about if, if quarter one of 2019 and quarter one of 2020, your, your revenue is down by 20%. That's what you're talking about, the safe harbor? Yeah, so that's the safe harbor is the revenue dip. Okay. And it's 50% in 20 and 20% in 2021. Okay, okay. And so when we're talking about the other route to qualification and the 10% that they've attached to more than nominally impacted, it's not a financial metric or, um, you know, there are finances involved, but it's more of a behavioral metric. So if you think about the way that they compare it is everything that your business did or didn't do based on government orders that was above and beyond normal business operations, which is best defined as pre-COVID operations. Now, there's some caveats to that, like if you open during COVID, you know, a lot of businesses did that. Um, Then there are other ways to kind of consider this, but you look at the difference in the behavior from normal or pre-COVID to the behavior during COVID, and if there is a 10% difference there after adding up all of the impacts, then that can, that's considered qualifying, right? And so when you're thinking about this credit and it not being like a 10% dip in revenue or like how do you calculate or show that, that's what I mean by a subjective tax credit. It's not where you just add numbers up and you either do or don't qualify. It's you add up, okay, so for social acts, we'll use this as an example. Um, our employees work eight-hour shifts and each employee was... Uh, had to sanitize an hour a day during their eight-hour shift that they would not have done otherwise. Maybe they would have spent that time marketing or selling to uh, clients or uh, being customer service or 
other things that promote this business in other ways that could increase revenue. So there's a like both the things that you had to do, but also the things that you were prevented from doing because your labor was spent elsewhere or government order prevented you from doing it. Then you add up all of these impacts. So you say, okay, we had uh, eight employees that spent an hour a day sanitizing. Uh, at the end of the week, that's 40 hours a week at a cost of, I don't know, 18 bucks an hour. And so... So that's 10% right there, right? Well, because, that's... that's because, Well, my, my thought is eight-hour shift, one hour is taken away. That's more well, than that's, 10%. Well, that's another thing to consider with this 10% number is that it's very generous. Yeah. It's not a high benchmark to reach. And so let's look at, okay, let's say that because our employees are only able to work seven out of eight hours towards actual business operations. Well, then let's consider the amount of time that they were actually out due to having COVID or contracted to COVID or even showing symptoms for a portion of the time they had to stay home. Then that puts time on the scheduler or the manager to find new employees to work those shifts. Uh, it so then it takes away from what that manager might have been doing in addition to, you know, you can see how a lot of these aspects add up over time. And a big one for this, like you mentioned, when in that like safely reopening period, they said, okay, you can go at 40% capacity. Well, right there is a 60% impact or disruption on your ability to provide goods and services. And so those, that didn't last the whole time. And so you've got to look at uh, how you were impacted on a time basis as well. So the way that this quarter or this uh, credit is calculated is quarterly in terms of qualification because it's just an amendment to your employee payroll tax filings. So you're 941. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just an amendment to those which are filed quarterly. And so that's kind of how they look at qualification of this. And so, so, cause I just joined round peg and, and helping Chris as well. So basically as a business owner, this is a lot of info to take in, right? Like the first few times I talk to you, it's like a flood of information coming at me. So for a business owner, they have so much on their plate to do as far as yeah. running their business. Like, you know, I, I guess you could try and do this on your own. I don't know, but it, this well, is where Rampag comes in, and you guys facilitate. Yeah, so, so like you mentioned, business owners don't have time to do this most often. Yeah. Or if they're a larger company and maybe do have employees that they could uh, allocate towards this, this credit, small angles equal big numbers, and having a thorough understanding of all of the different rules and laws and legislation surrounding it that have been passed over time it it's there's a lot to do there and so what we find when we talk to businesses kind of two different um conversations one is they really understand the value and time that we take off their plate because we like our whole approach is to be like as un encumbering as possible right because there's a lot you know to consider if you're trying to do this on your own and we have helped companies had conversations 
to explain how it works, what they need to consider. But then there are also things in terms of calculating this credit that are very nuanced and very uh, tricky. And if you don't know the rules surrounding certain pieces of it, there's a lot of money that gets left on the table. Like I probably deal with one or two cases a week where, like I just had one this morning where they just had their payroll company file for them. And that company, the payroll company, only filed for the quarters that they automatically oh. qualified with the safe harbor revenue. And they didn't even consider the, the other 10%. quarters. And, and that, you know, they, in, in, in efforts to scale this, they leave a lot of damage in their wake in terms of how much money is left. And so we will end up having to, like, amend their amendments to help them qualify or file. And even the quarters that maybe, let's say, that a payroll company helps somebody qualify based on government orders and they do a calculation of this credit, most of the time what we find is our calculation exceeds theirs because they don't know some of the rules or they didn't, uh, you know, calculate the PPP the right way or look at some of the forgiveness dates or there's a lot of nuance to it that if you, like we've been entrenched in this since it came out in the CARES Act in 2020 where only very specific companies did it benefit yeah. because at that time you could only do one or the other PPP or ERC. Yeah. And the value of it was not very much. And so you had to have a lot of employees and also be heavily impacted because it wasn't one route of qualification or the other back then. It was also, you had to have a reduction in revenue and be impacted by government orders. And so it, we started then helping okay. companies do this. So you did the PPP? We didn't provide, no, because that's very simple. You know, companies can do that on their own very simply. And so, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, so both of these, I didn't know this. So both of these packages came out at one time. In the ERC Act. and PPP was at the same time. Yep. So is this ERC package that people, even if they already got the PPP now, is that coming from that original chunk of billions that were dropped out or is this a new yeah, amount? Well, at the time you you qualified for either the PPP or the ERC, right? right? I'm and just so, saying, so if you're looking at it now, is so it the same the, money that came out the first go or is this so now? originally it was in that pool of money, but my suspicion is that due to lobbying efforts and the lack of taking advantage of this credit, the both qualification avenue and the value of this credit got a lot easier and worth a lot more money. And in terms of where the money comes from, it was originally part of the CARES Act funding, but since has been changed to just the Fed. So you're saying legislation changed it because not enough people were taking advantage of it? Well, I read an article that, and I don't know, I have my suspicions on why it was changed, but I read an article that they had expected somewhere around like 70% of businesses to apply for this. And again, like who knows if these sources are accurate or whatever, but the there were quotes from senators and whatever in there. Yeah. Um, and so not even close to the amount were even, you know, inquiring about this. And so they started changing the qualification. Now, my suspicion is, and this is maybe I'm a little more pessimistic, is that the like corporations and business owners recognized the value that this credit could possess yeah. and lobbied for more value uh, and easier uh, access. And okay. because if you sense. look at companies that there are what are called small eligible employers that have 
less than 100 during 2020 or less than 500 during 2021, that you're a small eligible employer. If you're a large eligible employer, which means you just have more full-time equivalents, right. which there's nuance to calculating that as well, um, then like you're what's called a large eligible employer. And the way that their credit is calculated is different. It's not the same. Um, so I'll touch on that real quick. If you're a small eligible employer, if you qualify during any time period, any quarter, then a percent of your wages that you paid gets reimbursed in this tax credit, no matter if they were working or weren't working or what the situation, full-time, part-time, as long as they weren't the owner or a relative of the owner, their wages are reimbursed a percent of their wages. If you're a large eligible employer, you only get reimbursed for uh, wages that you paid to employees that were not working or that were not providing services. So you think of like a larger corporation where they had that two-week mandatory shutdown period. They sent people home, but they're on salary or something, so they're still getting paid. Still, yeah. So that those are the wages that can be reimbursed. And so um, um, I don't remember exactly why we touched on that point, but um, the uh, – oh, so those large eligible employers, their credits, which are likely the ones that had a lobbying impact, which – again, I need to preface with, could or could not be the case. Um, their credits are, let's say like a 26,000 employee company, their credits are upwards of like $50 million, right? And so... Um, and when you say credit, is that a credit that's like government's writing them a check for $50 million or they're deducting it from the next taxes? No, so what happens is, I mean, you could use it as a deduction from your next taxes, yeah, yeah. but what happens is these are amendments to previously paid quarters of him so let's say for q1 of 2021 right we will amend that filing that 941 filing on what's called a 941x send it into them and because you've already paid that quarter of employee payroll taxes it's just it's like say for example you owe ten thousand but accidentally paid twenty they'll send you a check back for $10,000 as an overpayment. Gotcha. So this is like since you've already paid your however much value, they just send this back as a check as yeah, an overpayment. Yeah, it's like getting a ta uh, your tax refunds. It's, 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 it's like that. Um, think of it more like um, a solar tax credit, right? Yeah. When you buy solar, they will give you a credit towards your income taxes of, you know, so much state, so much federal. And it's similar to that. They'll provide you with a tax credit that since you've already paid them, there's no deduction from it. it. It's a major way to reduce your tax liability, but since you don't really have any for that time period, people are just using this money for uh, many purposes, but hopefully to improve their business. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of nuance to this credit, and every rule has nuance. And so the, the main thing that I would say is if you're a company – that paid W-2 wages, at least look into it. Because, How, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, worst case scenario is you take a 15-minute phone call and you don't qualify. Yeah. Best case scenario is you qualify for a big chunk of money. You get $50 million. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get a whole yeah. bunch of money, right? right? right. And it, it, the, the, I had somebody, it was actually my only person that I've ever talked to that could qualify and chose not to file was a home care company out of 
I can't remember where, but she couldn't quite understand that they weren't being like reimbursed for the government impact, right? So let's say she put a value of like sanitizing hours and managing hours to manage employees and testing, and she attaches a value to that. She was trying to reconcile that this credit was not uh, like a reimbursement of the government impact. That's not how it's calculated. We've had some people try and do that, which is really like trying to write your own tax law and rules around this. And you could on like a moral basis and, and try and do that, but it will not benefit you because they wouldn't let you do that on the other way. They wouldn't say, well, I've only calculated that my taxes are 10%, not 15 Well, so and you guys have been doing 10. this too, so long, too, where it's like, you know, you have people write things down. Obviously, they have to provide how they were impacted, but you also help in the wording and how it's supposed to be. Yeah, so when you are, as a company, you determine that, yes, you were impacted and you made the benchmark of qualification, you have to provide what's called a COVID impact statement, which essentially substantiates your claim that you were impacted, right? And in that COVID impact statement, what you write are the facts and circumstances of how you were impacted. There's kind of a three-tier test that you look at when determining qualifying actions or if you qualify. One is, is there a government order in place dictating or ma- mandating some sort of action. Which for you, there was. Yeah. Because yeah, there's several, you had to right? have a lot. Yeah. Sanitizing, uh, yeah. occupancy. Masks. Yeah, all all, that, yes. yeah, masks are a tricky one where uh, that's like... I was just saying that's a, that was a mandate. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, we can touch on that yeah. later. But um, well, like what's the... What, what do you feel like... Imp- because I'm curious, what do you feel like impacted your business the most with the government order? Like not allowing people, obviously, yeah, the b- shutdown, besides the shutdown. Shutdown and the shortage of people being allowed in. Like we you couldn't, couldn't, like the volume we couldn't fill just lanes. There. We couldn't, we, I mean, everybody, we had people so far spaced apart that we were doing two to three groups an hour, where on average we do 10 groups an hour. You know what I mean? So it was, it was a drastic reduction when it came to getting people in here to try it. And then on top of that, just to touch on the mask a little bit, Nobody wanted to take it off, so nobody was in buying food or drink because right. nobody wanted to risk having their mask off, yeah. even so, just to pull it down and take a sip. And right? you make a lot of money off of your food and drinks. Not a lot, but I mean, it's definitely a good portion it's, of our business. Yeah. It's not the axe throwing portion by any means, but it's yeah, it's there, an upkeep. So there, there are a few pieces that they say. Well, at least like masks or supply chain, there are a few pieces of things that couldn't be like impacted due to government orders like masks and supply chain that there are very special circumstances that those can be included because there was quite a few occasions obviously i didn't make note of them but i know there was quite a few occasions where i had to turn people away because they didn't bring their masks because they didn't care they didn't want to but you couldn't physically come in the door without the mask i remember when you first opened you had to turn people away because they didn't have uh, closed toe shoes. <laughs> I still do that. No, I have Crocs now. We still use Crocs and socks, but we still so have that like, problem. But yeah, yeah it's okay. like you couldn't. There just were so many little rules, and then on top of that, the sanitizing. Like we, dude, I have a few hundred dollars in hand sanitizer back there because I couldn't use. We got lucky and got a pallet, right? Yeah. And bought a pallet of it because they were like, "You're going to need it for the rest of your life, and it's going to yeah, be yeah. nonstop." And so, and then we didn't need it as much. We still use it in the store, but nobody touches it anymore. Compared to when COVID yeah. was hitting, I mean, you were spraying your hands every single time before you touched an axe. Yeah, when you it's look crazy. at crazy, it was when crazy. You look at like um, 
masks or supply chain, this is kind of something important to touch on because there's a lot of bad guidance out there on it. Like you'll hear a business say there's three ways to qualify. Yeah. Revenue loss, government orders, or supply chain, which is not true. The way that they look at supply chain is, well, here's the issue with supply chain. The rules are, are there a government order that you can attribute to the impact? Yeah. Okay, so was your supply chain issue one or two or three suppliers down the line? And if so, how can you prove that their, like their ability or their lack thereof to provide what yeah. you need was attributed to COVID? Yeah. You know, maybe you got an email from them that says something. Yeah. But other than that, you're not going to, like, subpoena somebody's yeah. records. No, I and figured so that. The, the issue with that is... We could, like, th- that we always recommend including it as, like, the last pieces, you know? Like, those are the ones that you just add on top in terms of that because we don't know and nobody knows, and if they say otherwise, they're lying, yeah. how the IRS is going to treat things like that with this credit because it's yeah. new. There's no case law. There's no precedent set. Um, so we've done, like, a bunch of research into similar tax credits and case law surrounding similar terminology and language to kind of garner our interpretation of how they might treat these rules. But let's say, for example, you state supply chain is 5% of the total 10% impact. And you say, uh, you know, we couldn't get half of our inventory because of supply chain. Well, the government can come back and say, well, where's, how are you attaching a government order to this? Where's the specifics? And they could be a stickler about it. Yeah. Do we, they, like, will they? That's yet to be seen. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so it's kind of tricky to try and, like, so that's why we use that. Or even if you think about masks, where masks, like, for a lot of companies, like for a dog training company I just worked with, it makes it a lot more difficult to train dogs. I've had electricians say it fogs their masks, increases their labor hours by 5% or whatever. You know, and, and like, with you, People not buying food because of masks is kind of a big yeah, thing. Yeah, another crazy thing, too, was our supply chain for our food. We got dropped. We had U.S. Foods as our supplier. And my, my guy, Rich, that was my salesman, came in one day and said, I can't sell you food anymore. And I was like, why? He's like, you don't serve enough because I wasn't, serving, I wasn't oh selling hard anything. And they were so short-staffed. And that's probably, aside from, like, this, like, the financial impact of COVID, that was one of the other biggest things was just the the exhaustion of the staff that were willing yeah. to work and willing to stay. That was probably the hardest yeah, dude, thing. the burnout. Because, like, they just were – and, like, you, like I, what were you supposed to do? We weren't making any money. We all felt like crap, you know, but they were willing to stay and work. And it was crazy, dude. That was probably the biggest, like, mental part of it was just the exhaustion of the crew and then keeping the crew and people coming and going. We hired so many people, and so many people worked a little bit, quit, stayed a while, quit, stayed the whole time still here, which we appreciate. But it was nuts. Yeah, dude. And so when you think about that, right, Yeah. that's another aspect that a lot of companies that list on their COVID impact statement because if you think about in the way to, like, show this or document this. Well, like, if you can't keep an employee, how do you run a business? Right. The trick is can you attribute it to a government order in yeah. COVID, right? Yeah. And so when you look at this situation or yours specifically, you look at, like, before COVID and, okay, we – put out a job ad and got, I don't know, 20 applicants, 10 we would interview, uh, seven would actually show up, and we'd hire two or whatever. And after COVID, it's like, well, we put a job ad out. It took us three months to get 15 applicants, 
four showed up, one got hired and only stayed for a week. So then we spent X amount on training and then X amount more on interview time, uh, you know, to find a new, you know, so you can see how that when you say 10% impact, it's a small number for all Seems of the overarching. And I mean, yeah. in my mind, most cases, what business wasn't impacted 10% by government order yeah. during COVID? Yeah. And here's like a little who, bit. Who wouldn't qualify? Exactly. And here's a little bit behind the curtain. When you look at this, <clears throat> there's two kind of like thoughts, right? And the recommendation or what is stated and what like we say for companies, right? Our guideline and our uh, rules is under the facts and circumstances of your business. So maybe there were government orders in place that they didn't obey or whatever, and they didn't suffer those impacts. Well, those, like, listing that would not be under the facts and circumstances of your business. However, there are many companies that, I don't know this for sure, and if I do kind of get a suspicion of this, I usually am just really upfront about and ask, but there are business owners that, kind of are a little bit, I, I would say, I don't know, not smarter, but um, understand this stuff better. And they recognize that, it, like, more often than not, it benefits to be aggressive in this type of thing because precedent for IRS resources used on audits is very small amount, and it's usually used for larger businesses who are less impacted, right? Or it, they look at it as a return on investment yeah. of how they spend their hours. And so... A business owner that's dealt with the IRS may see this and say, okay, well, under the facts and circumstances, I may have been close, but the rules that actually govern my business would put me way over the top if I would have obeyed. And so they will create their COVID impact statement or their narrative, essentially, that it shows that they were overly... And the, the, the part of that to consider is, how is that refutable, right? So you say, my employees sanitize for an hour a day, which may be more, maybe less. You use an average, and that's an honest guesstimate. And what, like, the IRS disagrees, and they're going to come back and say, no, we believe it was only 50 minutes. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no way to substantiate yeah, yeah. really either way. And so that's also kind of a part where when you're looking at how you're documenting this is – like being able to substantiate those claims and be really clear with what you're able to show. And the best thing to use is the government orders that are very clear and overarching and impactful, like social distancing, uh, like everything that we've mentioned. You know, we get some companies that think it's more valuable to kind of like describe the culture at that time. So I've had, uh, let's say, an auto body shop where they're near government buildings or colleges where these colleges or government buildings, now everybody goes to school or works from home, and there's no more driving or, like, drastically reduced driving. Right. And so when you think about their business, it's going to affect them majorly. Yeah, yeah. But how do they, how do they document and show that? So in their COVID impact statement, they write this, you know, pages of what was going on in the industry and the culture at that time, but it's, like, unsubstantiatable, yeah. you know? You can and and also, I mean, makes it difficult to refute one way or the other. And common sense indicates, okay, yes, COVID caused this, 
But if the IRS decided to be a stickler, which nobody knows if they will or if they won't, they could have a pretty good argument as to say this impact does not meet our, uh, you know, three rules, which I didn't finish. And and they are, is there a government order in place? What is the impact of that government order? How did it impact or disrupt your business or your ability to provide goods and services? And then does that impact equal the 10% and is it, can you document it, right? And so when you put together a COVID impact statement, you say, okay, uh, government ABC or government order ABC says we had to um, social distance or reduce our capacity or social distancing caused a reduction in capacity of this amount. Because of that, um, in 2019, Q3, we had, I don't know, 1,000 people a week come through here. And in Q3 2021, we only had 350 or 400. Yeah. And so you could, it, it seems like it's not easy, but like most well, most businesses would qualify. So out of the businesses you talk to, like what is the percentage of people that qualify for this? Because Well, in, here's... Yeah, no, that's a great question. And when you're thinking about qualifying, right, business owners themselves make that determination. And so if any consultant essentially or – and this is kind of why you see the payroll approach, which I'll touch on because it's important – is business owners themselves need to make that determination because – if I say, yep, you qualify, you're good to go, and worst-case scenario happens, IRS wants to do an audit, goes to arbitration. I was going to say, that's the nerve-wracking part. Well, yeah, so... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'll touch on that again as well. But, like, worst-case scenario, that happens, right? And um, it goes to arbitration. And also a side note is, like, our company provides support all the way through the statute of limitations and also, like, anything beyond... Because the statute of limitations or the ability for the governments to essentially audit this, I mean, they're like the law, you know, they can do whatever they want, essentially. But what the rules say right now is when the statute of limitations is up, if it's not a fraudulent claim, then their ability to audit is over, right? And so let's just say worst case scenario happens. They do decide to go to an audit. We provide, like, support through that all the way. Um, and so getting back to, um, like, business owners making that determination on their own, I could tell them they qualify all day and they could file, but the onus is on them, right? So something happens, they are the ones who receive the money. They're the ones that are going to have to pay it back if that comes to that, right? Um, and so if any consultant or somebody helping with this like rubber stamps these things it's just a lie to do so and it's just a a way to like make the customer feel good in the moment because it what do you mean by rubber stamping just like like dumbing down for like you're giving the approval no you just give approval for every case but you're saying that doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean anything if somebody rubber stamps your case unless it's based on the safe harbor revenue qualification that's easy to see yeah if you meet those reduction in revenue easy to see but if, if it's based on government orders, anybody that says, yes, you qualify, they may be correct, 
right? You may have a very clear and documented case that says, like, I qualify, I was 50% impacted by government orders, right? However, like, it, it still doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Whatever they say. And so what we provide or what a good company should provide is all of the information on how to make this decision. You know, what this 10% rule means, what's qualifying actions, what kind of documentation the IRS is going to want to see. I can't tell you how many hours of my day are spent going over COVID impact statements saying, well, okay, you made this claim, but how do we substantiate it? How do we document it? How do we beef it up, beef it up and make it so that if somebody were to look at it, they're going to say, oh, okay, there's nothing questionable here, no audit necessary. You yeah. know, Because when we put a case together, our whole goal is to make it audit-proof, put a bow on it, send it yeah, off. So yeah, so people don't have to worry about that. Well, especially because it's a little nerve-wracking because they just added, what, 100 and something, or not even, way more than that. How many agents did they just add to the IRS? Yeah, Everybody's dude, freaking so, out about now. And, well, here, think about know, this, too. Power to audit. Yeah. <laughs> well, They're like, this looks a little fishy. We'll be going by your house. Well, think about this, right? This may not provide any comfort to business owners, but when we submit a, a case, the IRS will pay because what happens is they get their $18 an hour employees to look at it and say, okay, this 10-employee company isn't filing for $10 million. Right, their, right. their values match up. Their calculation yeah, so looks you're, okay. You're being, in other words, you're being conservative on what you're trying to get for each company, right? Uh, well, our, our conservative approach is in the guidance we provide on what quarters they should take. Okay. If it's pretty clear that maybe they weren't, as heavily impacted. So let's talk Q3 for a minute of 2021. In a lot of places, government orders lax, particularly locally in Q3, Q3 of 2021, right? But there are still really weird guidance from OSHA and the CDC that says you have to have a plan in place that then they also say that, like, if you don't do the things in this plan, then you could be cited and so it's kind of a weird logic loop. But anyway, in that quarter, if they don't qualify based on safe harbor revenue rules, then it may, one of the government orders that they used to substantiate previous quarters may no longer be there. And so we just need to make sure that we meet that benchmark. And so our, our conservative approach is in the guidance that we provide. In terms of the calculation, we like find every penny that is available to you within the law. So right. Chris, how long does this take? Like, if someone applies for this, what's the what's yeah. the time frame? Because it sounds like there's a lot to well, everything, so and the, it sounds like you got the months that, of work ahead of us if we do it, right? No, so, no, no. So that's okay. that's part of what we offer is a way to make this uncumbersome for you. There is months involved, but it has nothing to do with the work involved. So the we will collect documents from you that allow us to calculate this credit and like avoid any discrepancies yeah and then the the part that takes the longest between the customer and the uh like between us and the client is gathering the documents so they might send a something we need in excel form in a pdf form yeah or they might send the wrong documents or once we get that done which hopefully can be done in like a week yeah. sometimes longer sometimes less depending um and then it takes us usually about a week to do an analysis and then we will submit them or, I guess, show you what the amended 941s look like, make sure it meets the analysis, go through any more questions, 
get your approval, then send it to the IRS. And originally we were seeing like eight to 10 months, like a long time. But now we're seeing like four to six is a good average. Some are as quick as two and a half to three months. So it's getting quicker. And something that I just learned on this, and um, it doesn't have like the biggest impact, but when you either owe or are owed money by the IRS, there's just like a basic interest rate attached. Usually like, I don't know, prime plus two or something similar to that. And so the longer they take, they will pay interest on that. Hmm. And it's not a lot. So you're like, saying the IRS is paying your business interest if it, the longer it takes them to give you your money. Yeah, yeah. And so we're seeing like on so average. You're seeing it sped up a little bit then. Well, you yeah. You said 8 to 10, now well, it's 4 to the 6. The pressure's on them to, to get it yeah, there. Right? Well, think about this for more. a second, right? We're seeing typically like 4 to 5% interest, okay? Yeah. So let's say 5% interest on, let's say, I don't know, a $10 million case. Oh, yeah. That's 500 grand. Yeah, so, that's insane. So, so do you, do, does the IRS, how is that calculated? Because it's, you submit the paper, you have the date, and then by the time it's done, they just automatically throw in that interest, or do you have to reduce something? No, in order they to look get... at how long that they've had your filing, how long it's taken them, and they have, I don't know what it is exactly, and I should probably learn that, but there is an interest rate that is either attached to, let's say you owe money to them, that interest rate gets attached to what you owe them. Yeah. And let's say that they owe you money. It's just the same. Okay. It's just a basic interest rate that gets attached to every IRS claim that takes time. Okay. So either they, you know, owe or you owe. Um, so, okay. So Chris, this sounds like a lot, man. This sounds like we need to have a meeting so I can go over well, all this stuff. I mean, we've <laughs> gone I, into quite a bit more detail. Yeah, we got in a lot. I wanted yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. Like, so... Let's touch on, on, on you a little bit, Chris. How did you get into – how did this come to you? Like, yeah, is it, so, do you have a degree in, like, tax stuff or accounting or um, – So – Like, where did you – Yeah. How so, did how'd you find this? So. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll start at the beginning. So yeah. um, before I broke my neck when Jordan and I were going to check out College of Eastern Utah, um, I did summer sales for a company that – pretty much screwed us all like i don't know many many people <laughs> have been i've heard of that no, no? Okay, but sorry, I, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. i've been part yeah. of yeah. summer sales yeah. that i've gotten screwed too so. yeah so just the way that they did it like i'll be quick they like sent us all home early oh and, that sounds like me and in our contracts if you get it sent stated home early, that we had to be you. there to a certain amount of time and so then they like were able to like not pay us a bunch of money but anyway yeah. um so I did that, and then um, I was getting ready to go to school down with Jordan, and which kind of came across crazy because he's like, I'm going. I'm like, I'll come with you. I'll check it out. And it ended up, that was like my journey into not paying any tuition, where yeah. at Utah State, where I was planning on going, I would have paid 2500 bucks <coughs> in tuition. But at College of Eastern Utah, my like... Dude, it was like a no-brainer to go there. Where's that at? It's Price. Price. Price? It's, okay. it's now USU Eastern. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but my, like, I don't know, accreditations or uh, merit-based stuff gave me, and, and all the other crap that I applied for made it so they paid me $2,500 after everything was paid for. So I got, like, a check. So you've always kind of been good at this with the government stuff. Well, huh? so, <laughs> I mean, just finding, like... He just knows what to apply for. Well, finding services that or uh, that are available to people or resources, I've become an expert in that 
randomly. So I kind of started then. And the first thing I did when I got there was go and ask them, who do I talk to about scholarship? Who do I talk to about becoming an RA so my room's free? What, uh, how can I get involved in school programs that provide stipends? Yeah. Where can I get money from you is essentially yeah. what I was asking them. I built great relationships with them. And so then when I broke my neck the weekend before finals week down there that semester, like took a year off for like physical therapy and I got to like, and, and right before I started doing this, um, I went to that same summer sales company. They tried to recruit me to do rock chip repair, just door to door. I remember this too. And so I went and learned everything I could from them and was asking questions about how do you build the insurance? What forms, you, yeah. what companies, yeah. right? And so I left there. They had all this paperwork they wanted me to fill out. And so as I'm filling it out thinking I'm never coming back here, <laughs> I see like a non-compete clause. And so I just like skip past that, turn it in, left, and I started my own rock chip repair company so that when I was down in price, I could have a source of income that the reason I chose that business was very low barrier to entry, right? You know, maybe 500 bucks for equipment. And the service doesn't cost the customer anything because the insurance pays for it. That's kind of changed now. Rock chip world's changed. Um, But back then... You know, it was like 65, 75 bucks a chip. Yeah, you remember all those tents that were fixing rock Yeah, I used to do glass. And... I used to do windshields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I'm like, man, there's a, a low barrier to entry, good return on time. Once I talked to everybody in price that drove that canyon every weekend. Yeah, yeah. they all had rock yeah. chips. They all had rock chips, and I had a steady source of income. Nice. And so... <laughs> And then, it's so it's like it's not that hard to do. It's easy. Yeah. No, that's, that's it great. was easy to learn yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. I was the expert day one, you nice. know, fake it till you make it type of thing. <laughs> um, nice. And then I broke my neck and wasn't able to do that anymore. And so um, I did the therapy and got to a point where I was supposed to do like another year, but I just wanted to get back into life. And so I went back down to College of Eastern Utah as like a quadriplegic that they have never really provided school for somebody in a wheelchair before. And they have a disability uh, resource center, but it was mostly for like mental disabilities or things like that where um, they hadn't dealt with like needing to make adaptions to campus or, you know, there, I, hmm. I, I went to them before I got there and said, Hey, I'm going to need help. What can you provide? And so I became really good friends with the two people that were in charge of that uh, department. And, like, I told them, you know, I need all the doors, lighters, so I can open them. Uh, and so they got me, like, a key card that I could just, like, swipe, and it would open door. They went above and beyond because we built a good relationship, which That's awesome. if we have time, we should touch on the value of that. Um, and so then uh, I kind of started learning then, man, there's a lot of resources available. You know, there's something called Voc Rehab the government provides. Um, so that if you have any type of disability you know, whether it's uh, mental, physical, whatever, they will pay for your whatever it takes to get you back into a vocation or a job. Yeah. And so for me, that was college for part of my education. Um, but then I also applied for all the scholarships I could and everything along the way and also jumped through a bunch of hoops to get services from the government. And they're out there. You just need to find them or talk to the right people or know where to look. And so... Um, 
I'm, I'm graduating in December with my MBA, and I will have graduated without paying a cent of tuition. And have the been, whole time? Yeah, my undergrad and my That's another story. That's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Episode two. <laughs> yeah, and, and not only did I not pay tuition, but I was paid probably around $30,000 over the course of those seven years. In, so, go ahead, sir. Yeah, in, in just like scholarship or so you're like the grants. Donald Trump of of uh, tax credits. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that, those weren't tax credits. Those were mostly scholarships or grants yeah. or right, whatever right. But you can find. Are you, so just touch, touching on that and, and the ERC stuff, are you looking at, Is your will your organization have anything to do with the new, uh, what they just passed for college students now that they're oh, going to the do 10000 $10,000 oh, forgiveness. Yeah, um, have you put any thought into that being part of your thing that you guys might end well, up helping I, out kids with that or people with that? To, so I have a, passion project that I hope to start in the next five years where the service we provide is to help kids who play college sports get or high school sports get to college because what happened with me was I thought I was pretty good and I finished my high school season with you know in comparison to our region and state what sport baseball baseball gotcha very competitively and when I I didn't get any offers or talk to any coaches because I just expected them to come to me, which isn't the case if you know anything about it's it's how well you can put yourself in front of the right people, just like almost any other opportunity is. And so when I got to the College of Eastern Utah that first semester and I became friends with a lot of the baseball players and watched some of their games, I was like, man, I can play with these dudes. And so I started making an effort to play. I started practicing with them. And then I went in the spring semester, so I missed, like, fall ball and tryouts and all that stuff. And so I was getting ready to start all that after the uh, spring semester during that summer. And that's when I broke my neck. Um, And so there's a huge, like, gap in talent in their communication with coaches yeah. because you'll find yeah. at D1s where in any sport there are kids on the team that have no business being there yep. and at junior colleges or D2s or NAIAs there are kids that would shine at D1 but were never noticed or they, they just maybe their uncle knew a guy or whatever right. you know and so what I want to provide is an avenue to get a kid in front of coaches and colleges and in addition to that a counseling piece that shows them if they're not getting scholarships or they have to walk on, say, hey, there's, there's resources out there. You know, so depending on the package, and I haven't gotten too far into a plan yet, but we can help them with, like, picking a degree, registering for courses all the way through their degree, making sure that they're on top of it. Because a lot of times you'll hear, well, my counselor told me this, and it sent me back a whole semester or whatever. You know, and so provide that as well as, like, um, help them apply for FAFSA or government funding or uh, scholarships or depending on like the help that they want or purchase. And part of that, I imagine, will be that student loan bill. Uh, I've done a bunch of reading and research into the actual bill. And, um, well, I have some opinions on like whether that will stick around or I don't know. It, there's a lot of things to consider there, but that may be a piece of that. Um, but in terms of like 
I guess getting back to how I got into this tax credit is I got really good at applying and utilizing government services. And I, during my undergrad, was working with a friend of ours and that mostly what we provided was consulting services to businesses in terms of like improving efficiency, implementing softwares, uh, you know, maybe helping them with inventory management, uh, financial um, streamline, you know, whatever it would be that a business needed, we would have like a, an approach or a suite of softwares or something to improve their efficiency. And in early 2020, we started getting pushed into this ERC credit. And as time went on, the value increased dramatically. And so we got everybody that's got it calls their friend and then they need help. And then they're, and then you're on the phone with a consultant who has 150 businesses or a thousand businesses or an association with the same amount of businesses that could benefit from this service. So then now you're providing service to, you know, hundreds at a time. And, um, and so we kind of got pushed into it due to the market, but in terms of my like ability to understand and utilize these credits, that's been a long journey of going through other, you know, grants and, and scholarships yeah. and government, this and that, because the way I look at this credit and pretty much anything that you're applying for assistance in some way or another is like a scholarship. You know, for this, your documents are like your transcripts and your COVID impact statement is like your essay, right? You just have to, they'll list requirements from what they want from you and you just have to jump through those hoops and provide it. And when you mentioned earlier that it seems like any business could qualify, at least for a very short time period, you know, like maybe they want to look at just the first bit of 2020, right? I mean, it would be very easy to make an argument that businesses qualify. There are some that would be more difficult, like say, I don't know, let's say uh, an electrical uh, equipment supplier or like somebody who supplies like, I don't know, cable and switches and lighting yeah. and whatever. And they're all based in an office and their biggest impact was getting sent home to work. Nothing changed. Revenue didn't change. Maybe they had to meet via Skype or Zoom or Google Meets or whatever. But, like, that's it. And you can't really show an impact. What about stores that, like, thrived? What about, like, a Lowe's that, or Home that Depot is, or a that Smith's is, or Walmart? Yeah. So that's what's very interesting. they killed it, you know? Yeah, that's what's very interesting about this credit is it's one of very few that the IRS does not punish a business for doing well. Hmm. So if you suffered and meet the non-revenue uh, safe harbor or the revenue safe harbor qualifications, they'll help. And also, if they impacted you, they will help. The language of employee retention is, is kind of a weird name for this credit because I think the reason they used it is probably one, because it looked good in front of legislators that were going to vote for it. Yeah. But also... Um, it's a reimbursement on their wages. And yeah. so that's probably why they use that. But um, when you're thinking about companies that did well, I've got a great one in mind. It's an ice cream shop where typically uh, I'll just use it's, – it's not a cold stone, but that's a great example. Most people know what that is. Yeah. Where a lot of their business, somebody comes in, gets ice cream, maybe sits down or grabs it and leaves. And a small portion of their business is the drive through window. Yeah. So if you think about COVID – 
like what activities could families or people do? Right. Go get, go go, through go drive get through. the drive-through of ice cream, right? Yeah. And so their income was like far exceeded their traditional operating. But it's very clear to show, well, hey, our normal or pre-COVID operations, 80% of what we provided was, in was internal dining. And then when you shut that down for this amount of time, then we had restrictions on capacity for this amount of time. And, you know, so for, even for just a limited time, it's very easy to show they meet the letter of the law in terms of qualification. And so they don't punish you for figuring out a way to navigate and operate through COVID. You know, they, they, this credit is almost like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I keep saying that it's like a tear in the space-time continuum. And I feel like it's one of those things, like, not to get, like, political or whatever, but it's one of those, like, I, when we first did the PPP, I kind of had, like, a guilt feeling to it. I was like, dude, like, we got we got to find yeah, a way man. to do this ourselves. And it just was, it just kept getting harder and harder, and, like, it was not going to pan out. And so we took it, right? And so then now I kind of had the same feeling with this. I'm like... Well, we made it. Do we need it? I don't know. Well, here's but it's like the government's going to give it away no matter what. It's no different than the college one. The college one kind of throws me off a little bit, too, and I'm not but, trying to get political, but it's like... I say take it because it's like how it, much they're, you they're pay in taxes out, to exactly. the government. Exactly. They're putting anyways. it out there, and that money's going to... Well, obviously, that money's going to sit, and no one's going to use it. If I'm going to be real like, honest so. about the legislation, <clears throat> I may not agree with it, right? And is our country mortgaging its future? Like, maybe. Yeah. I'll give a little bit of context. So I'm a part of a group that helps people that had a recent uh, spinal cord injury or traumatic brain injury. It's a government-like pilot program that provides funding for physical therapy after your insurance runs out. Because most insurances are like 20 visits a year, and it t- it's like 20 visits a month, yeah. right? And so they, because what the whole like premise is, that if you do more therapy early on, then it costs the government less later in terms of medical expenses. And so for um, that, and also another part thing that I'm a part of is they provide people with disabilities, this is a different program, uh, funding for self-directed care. So let's say, for example, somebody wants to not go into a nursing home and instead they want to stay home, but they still need help. This program will provide them a budget to pay an employee to help them so they can stay in their home, right? Since that program started, nobody has ever been taken off the wait list, and it's thousands of names long. So this year, they asked for $60 million to take some people off the wait list, right? And I think they got enough to take off maybe 10 because they also had to do a pretty substantial increase in wages because of what inflation's doing right now. And so... um, they took maybe 10 off, and it was like a big deal. And when that money was asked for, it was like scoffed at, like they were asking for the government's last penny that was going to, like, either that or, like, I don't know, feed people. You know, like they were really upset that we were asking for that amount of money, $60 million. To provide a little bit of context, we do cases every week that are around $10 million. Yeah, that's crazy. So, and that's just our company, right? And there are many, many companies. You think about a payroll company, and I wanted to touch on this because it's important. There's kind of two approaches that have popped up to this credit in terms of the services being provided. One is the payroll company 
that just says, okay, you tell me what you want to file for. And the client or customer's like, well, do I qualify? Like, what are the rules? Should I file? And they're like, we'll get with your accountant, let us know, and we'll help you. Right? And they, they charge a, a decent amount for that. And the other approach is, and, and they do it that way to avoid any type of liability that they may suffer, right? And so they, they are not like service providers. They're essentially preparers and filers. And then the other approach that's come about is companies that are like, well, if you were alive and breathing in 2021, you qualify for everything, right? <laughs> Which doesn't really pass the common sense test at the very least. Yeah. Is it ethical? Probably not, right? Is it true? Probably a lot of the times, yes. But, um, and that's kind of why, like, our approach is like a white glove hand-holding approach where we try and be as clear as we can with the risks involved, uh, what the rules mean, how it's going to impact them, and what the indecision means for their company, what it means in terms of the rules of the credit, and, and, and provide, like, consulting, right, instead of just the calculation and filing because, and another thing to consider is, like, people are charging, like, 15, 20, 25% to file this credit, which is astronomical, right? It's very, very uh, greedy. And we suspect that those companies, because this is a relief credit, will likely get looked at by, like, somebody and yeah. have to, like, give money back. Yeah. Because, at the very least, like, maybe get in trouble and, ha- like serve jail time at the most you know i've seen a couple cases of like there was this kid in vegas who filed for his first erc by himself and he had like i don't know maybe i think it was either two or ten employees for like a flooring company or something and he's filed for like 72 employees holy crap and then he said that he had another business that he filed and his credit was like i don't know 12 million dollars or something and then he got caught and obviously went to jail because that's fraud, yeah. right? Um, and that's so, so scary, people dude. that think they can just get away with yeah. that stuff, I, it blows my mind. It's like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, man, the, the, the quantity of cases that the IRS has to deal with, I bet a lot of that sneaks through. I hate to say that, but, like, let's just think, for example, for the people who file tax returns for people who are dead. Yeah, yeah. Right? That was, like, a big thing a little while back for like you know people were doing and i bet like a lot of them got away with it for a very long time and i bet some still haven't been caught you know if they're just able to like be conservative in their approach i guess but yeah um so when you're looking at the service that you get or the 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 like help you get when you're looking to file for this credit just like pay attention to what's being offered to you you know because companies can like, just say, tell us what you want us to file for. And a lot of payroll companies, man, they're in a position where this kind of gets back to a little bit of context on the value of this credit. Let's say somebody, I mean, I hate to use names, but there are payroll companies that have thousands of clients. Yeah. That, let's say, yeah, yeah. let's say they've got, I don't know, 10,000 clients, which isn't a stretch at all, and they only file for 1,000 companies, Right. At an average of, geez, who knows? I don't want to put a value on it, but just the money that they can make doing that is nuts. And one thing that has suffered with scale for this is kind of what I mentioned before is they will leave a lot of money on the table 
because they don't pay, they don't give each case the attention it deserves in terms of the analysis or the, like, like I mentioned, that one only filed for safe harbor revenue instead of the other two that were actually the quarters that were worth the most for this credit. So anyway, um, that's, I don't know how I got back into this, but just a couple more things to be cognizant of. Um, but yeah, um, in terms of how I got into it, it was kind of just a long road that I recognized that my like talents and experience fit well with this. And, you know, I, I don't know if I want to use like the word compassion, but like we recognize it's a relief credit. Yeah, yeah. And most of the companies we help are small businesses. I would say probably like 50% or 60 maybe of the companies are help are somewhere between like five and 20 employees. So not a ton. And then the rest just kind of scales up from there. But like, and, and my goal and hope that we've been pushing towards is helping companies that serve like a disadvantaged population. So maybe like home health care or uh, troubled youth homes, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Because like you mentioned with the legislation of this credit, it is questionable whether you agree on it or not, right? Yeah, and, that's, and I wasn't trying to say that I'm not. I'm just... It, no, they, you, can't, you kind of have to, to it. have that question of like, I don't know, is it always, is it free, right? That's always been the first question. Yeah. Like, is it really free money? I don't know, but it's, you know, anyways. I, yeah. The more and more I fought it the first time, like, I was just like, I don't know if we should... And this is me in my head. I'm like, dude, this is going to take all this money, and what's it going to do to the rest of the world, blah, blah, blah. But it was so hard. Like, COVID was brutal. It just killed us. And then... We just never have, like, we're doing good. Not by any means am I complaining. Things are coming back to life. But we're not back to 100% like we were before COVID. We're getting there. Um, yeah, you know. and, and also, but like our like our crew, like it's like I was saying earlier, like to have that relief and to use it for stuff that we've needed to purchase but haven't quite been able to do so or to uh, reward a staff members show or whatever, like show some appreciation and all that jazz. I can see, how, and, I, and I, I am a true believer that once the government spent it, it's gone. So why would you not grab it? Yeah. Like, it's gone. They're not ever going to put it back somewhere. in the coffers. And that's lack of knowledge. That's me just saying that. But, like, why would, they're not going to put it back. They're just going to find another home for it. So yeah. it's the same thing with the college one. Like, everyone's talking about getting the college one. Is it right? Is it wrong? Blah, blah, blah. You chose to go to college. You chose not to. Whatever. The money's spent, man. Like, it's out there in the world now. So I don't know if you should skip it or not, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, like, a lot of my perspective as well is – do I agree with the legislation? Like, that's another conversation. Yeah, entirely. Another but um, those are the circumstances we find ourselves in. Yep. Right? And like I mentioned at the beginning of this is companies that don't take it find themselves at a competitive disadvantage because yep. now maybe they can't match a sign-on bonus or increase wages or even just improve their culture. Yeah. You know, and that's just one aspect or of it, buy, right? buy stuff they need. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But new, it, your oven's crapping out. You need a new oven. Like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and those are just basics, right? Yeah. You think about companies that have a lot of employees in industries that are difficult to staff, the value of what this credit can provide them, particularly, I've kind of specialized in, in, in healthcare and home care because I'm familiar with it. And for a home care company that, let's say they have, I don't know, 50 employees, and a lot of their, like, clients will go unseen because they just don't have the staffing for it or their patients, right? And so this provides the ability to really impact somebody's life. And so when I, like, the, those patients who, if somebody just doesn't show up to their house, they're either not getting to bed 
or not getting out of bed or like, you know, that's, that's a, a bad situation. And so this can provide help in that way. But also when you think about a company like yours, it is a similar thing where you can like show your employees, you appreciate them, which will improve the overall culture which I think the overall the experience and, yeah. Bring, yeah. and people go yeah. tell their friends and say, you should go try this. The staff's yeah. great. The food's great. Yeah. And, and what I think the overall approach to this is like, will it improve the economy? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there is a real possibility that it could if it's used correctly. Yeah. You know, yeah, and if you so, get it and go buy a new car, that's not the right route. Like, right. Go, you know, yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, so by, you know, if you're using it for the business, like you were saying. Well, I think I think the, the, the idea behind it too is give money to business owners because they make better decisions with the money. It's not just going to go. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's I mean, a, that's, that's, that's that one of my thoughts. Sword, but yeah, yeah. So well, I've I've had a lot of like I don't know self reflection on that because, like I mentioned, it was very difficult to get sixty million dollars out of the legislation to help people with disabilities who don't receive the money themselves. They get like a budget to help themselves. Right. But then that was like awful to do. Right. But when you're looking at like giving a company, let's say there are many companies I've worked with that did better during COVID. Right. So their income just increased by maybe threefold or even just let's say 50%. Right. And then they get a giant check where they don't really have anything to spend it on in the business. Maybe they hold on to it for safety reasons or whatever, but if that checks a million dollars, yeah, that's going to burn a hole in somebody's pocket. And so, like, yeah, yeah. Their, their willingness to give money to companies that, like, to business owners who, if I'm just to think about all of the ones I've spoken to and my perspective of that person or, like, you know, an average business owner... Even if their business goes under, they've shown an ability to find a way to make money and to do well for themselves, and right? And that's worst-case scenario. And the people that maybe need the money for even just to provide health care for themselves, right, where they're going to use that money for, like, a purpose just to improve their quality of life or make it livable yeah. in comparison to a business owner that maybe gets 500000 or a million bucks of now just expendable income who maybe is the last person that needs it in terms of like, and this is just like kind of me on a soapbox thinking about like I'm compassionate towards people who have disabilities or need help. I've experienced all of those downfalls. And so I'm with you on the, I guess, dilemma on whether this is good or bad. And I think it's like anything, it could be great and it could also be bad, you know? And so, uh, my, I guess, guidance is always use it to improve other people's lives. Yeah. But is that always followed? You know, yeah. I'm not the moral police either. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, exactly. you know, I'm, I'm happy to help in the hope that we can make change. Um, and then the instances that we can't, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, it's yeah. just a learning lesson right there. Right? Well, I think it's time to wrap up. I got to go to another appointment. But it, I, I imagine... There's people listening to this, or maybe even yourself, yeah. where it's like, yeah, I, I want to jump on a call and see what we qualify for, what we can actually get. So reach out to 
me, myself, or me, myself, Braden, myself, Chris, and we will jump on a 15-minute phone call. Um, Molly is who helps us, who sends all this stuff that you need to send documents, and then we can we can file this for you. Um, what what are like your last words for someone that's thinking about yeah. doing this? Yeah. So the main thing is is consider it, right? Because whether you agree with the legislation, whether you qualify, whether you don't, the money is there. And you talked about being hesitant of free money, which everybody is. And that might be the biggest obstacle of providing this service. But also, it's a lot easier to get somebody to consider free money than it is a car or anything else, right? And so just consider it, right? Do research. Talk to somebody who knows what's going on, whether it's us or somebody else. Just look into it. If you think that you may qualify, or even if you think you might not, and you think that you have like a purpose that could be this money could be used for, the main thing is to consider it. The other aspect that I would say is the process. We've gone over a lot that makes it seem very cumbersome and very detailed and, and take a lot of time, but it's really this simple. We have a 15-minute conversation to kind of touch on some details of your specific business. If you want to move forward, we will exchange emails to get you what you need and for you to be able to get us what we need. We'll do an analysis that takes about a week and then at the end of that we have a quick conversation to determine what quarters you want to file for. And then after that it's a quick filing. So this whole process if it goes like most cases do and it's just a smooth going through, usually about a week to gather documents, usually about a week to submit them and then depending on the IRS, you know, another four to six months, maybe less, maybe more. But it's it's a lot simpler uh, of a process than maybe we've discussed it to be. We've yeah. just gone into, like, really detailed questions because um, this is a good platform yeah, to do that. Yeah, and I've jumped on calls with you, too, where it, it really is, like, 15-minute call, and then you send out the emails, and basically from there it's mainly emailing back and forth till you get the correct documents. Yeah, correct? yeah, and I always provide my cell. So if you have questions, you can just call me anytime. I'll put it down in the description, too. Yeah, I'm on the phone from when I wake up to when I go to bed and even sometimes later because I'm happy to do this because it's a lot of money that can really impact business owners. And and P- the PPP helped and saved a lot of businesses like your own. But yeah. this CRC has done the same. Companies that got the PPP and are still struggling or that just see something that they could do with this money, maybe grow or, you know, change culture or whatever. Um, it, it's been a, a big help to a lot of companies, and it's very simple. The di- most difficult part is to decide whether you want to file or not, and that just takes some time. So like you mentioned, it's, you know, I probably spend a total of like an hour, hour and a half on each case, and we're able to get through it and, and, and do it all in that amount of time over the couple weeks period. Yeah. And if it takes more than that, it takes more than that, you know? Some are three hours. But it's never the, the, the biggest part of it is just exchanging the right information and deciding what to file for. So, yeah. And, and we can add all the website and information in the description. Yeah, I'll, I'll add everything, phone numbers, um, there is a website that explains a little bit more, which I've d- do- dived, dove, dove, divin, <laughs> dove. <laughs> dove into. Um, but yeah, uh, I like I said, I'm, I'm helping Chris get in touch with business owners, and 
joining Roundpeg with him to do this. So um, we we feel like it can help a lot of people. Um, and Chris ha- has been doing this way longer than me. He just called me one day, said, "Hey, I think that you know you'd be interested in, in doing this." And so if if you are listening to this. Um, just jump on a phone call. Like, just just schedule a phone call. You have Calendly that you schedule most of years through. Yeah, I, yeah. So there, I mean, you can leave your info. We'll call you. You can schedule something, a web meeting. Some people like to see face-to-face. Yeah. Um, yeah, just whether, however you want to get in touch with us, there are several different routes. Um, and, yeah, we'd be happy to help. And, that, you know, your guys' main, I guess, guests, and I would think maybe audience, our business owners, right? Yeah. And so this provides a, uh, a good avenue just to help more people with this because what I've found is that Round Peg's mission is to chase the help, not to chase the commission. And I think that has shown through, and we've partnered with dozens of associations across the country for different industries, whether it's healthcare, construction, uh, dozens of consultants, um, and I think it is because our approach is to help. We don't yeah. we don't chase the commission. And so, um, yeah. However, you want to get in touch, we will I, provide that avenue. Yeah, and if you want to join on the podcast, to expose your business. Um, we're more than happy to talk to you on the podcast, and then afterwards, you can actually meet us in person, and we can talk more about this or set you up with Chris. So. Um, just reach us down below. We appreciate you for coming out. Uh, of course. It, it's always more enjoyable meeting in person than over Zoom. We used to do this over Zoom, and it's just nice to, like, get back to real life. I, you, you know that. <laughs> yeah, it changes, it changes the relationship, I think, a lot. You know, I mentioned earlier it would be valuable to touch on relationships, and just, like, one sentence about it is that a lot of my friends would be like, oh, you're a brown noser, you kiss, you know, you're <laughs> sucking up, you, you know, but really... Like, I was just creating relationships, and I still am close with those disability people at the College of Eastern Utah, and, you know, like, I met with somebody, their business is to provide dog training services, and I have trained a service dog, and so I just create relationships because there is more value in that than, you know, like, people, I guess, really give it credit for. Yeah. I think it, I think it's huge especially in real estate it's like that's it is a relationship based business you have to build good relationships and it opens doors that wouldn't be opened otherwise you know you meet people that you probably never would have met before so um Chris thanks for coming on yeah, you got any you. other last words I'm good brother Okay, if, if there's anything else that's updated with this ERC and you want to jump back on a podcast we're always always down always down. awesome yeah, okay. no, that'd be great, man. And there's a lot of other aspects to my life that I think we could go over yeah, that yeah, are yeah. similar. Sounds like we need a second episode. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.